you're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I swear it's a coincidence that the hair metal hero is guesting on a show that deals with killer metal robots. of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name is Sean Eagle, and I love talking about Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with the cover date November 2004, and specifically the comics that have Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner in them. Unfortunately, again, Guy Gardner's kind of been sidelined, but Kyle Rayner's in both of these. In the first book, Green Lantern number 130, he's taking on a foe that, you know, he probably should be taking on more often in the Green Lantern books, the Manhunter Robots, the predecessors to the Green Lantern Corps who decided to get a sort of Borg-like upgrade. And now Kyle's having to uh, try and find his own way to take them now. Plus, the second book we're taking a look at is the third part of the Green Lantern vs. Alien stories, Green Lantern vs. number three, obviously, where Kyle, who's lost his ring, has to uh, do a little improvising and gets a little help from uh, the incredibly hot Laura Croft analog Crow, who's unfortunately nothing like the incredibly hot robot from Mystery Science Theater 3000, and he gets into a nice little conversation with former Green Lantern Salak. And plus, there's plenty of uh, you know aliens from the uh, Ridley Scott movie coming to terrorize the uh, two characters, the three characters. Xenomorphs, Sean. Xenomorphs. Xenomorphs. You are correct. And if you if you didn't guess, I've got a guest to come along to the show again. He is uh, one of the people behind the vault of the startling monster horror tales of terror over at the Two True Freaks Network. He's also the co-host, along with good friend Dave Atterbury from Star Wars Weekends. We miss you, Dave. Uh, and now it's not Nerds on Film anymore. It's TNA Movies. That's TNA. right. Yeah, and he's he's doing some. I can't wait to hear his next his next movie commentary that he's going to do. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great privilege and pleasure to welcome onto the show Mr. Hair Metal Hero Chris Tyler. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm glad to have you. Like I said, I was glad that I finally got to get all the vault guys on here. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we did Chris on the show, and he was Chris. <laughs> it, it was getting, yeah. it was essentially getting Chris to read two goddamn superhero comics, so that was mm. a lot of fun. And uh, we're hoping to get Luke Jack and Eddie on as well, uh, the next show. So we're going to be rounding out this Aliens uh, Green Lantern thing with uh, the horror ball, so that'll be cool. Yeah, you can only hope to get Luke on your show. He's, yeah, he's Luke, a tough man to pin down. Luke, Luke is difficult to pin down, but I, I love when he comes on because he always brings his A game. So, But I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to have you talked about this. And we'll go ahead and jump right into it after we take this uh, commercial break and play some podcast promos. So stay tuned, folks. This is the theme to Sean Show. This is the theme to Sean <laughs> Show. Sorry. <laughs> This is, the, this is the part in Sean's show where he plays the promo. There you go. Oh. Thank you. 
let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Captain America! It's the blind man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. From there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> to, to to awkwardness and a Green Lantern issue. We won't talk about the awkwardness, but we'll talk about the Green Lantern issue. It's, There's some awkwardness in this issue, though. Oh, yes, there is. Um, it's Green Lantern number 130. Its cover date was November 2000, and its release date was September 6th in 2000. Cover price, again, was 225 US and 350 Canada, and the title was Prodigal Son. The writer was Judd Winnick, penciler was Daryl Banks, inker Andy Smith, Colorist was Rob Schwager, the letter was Chris Eliopoulos, the assistant editor was Frank Berrios, and the editor was Bob Schreck. In the antimatter universe of Kord, a lone weaponer approaches a Gary Oldman from Lost in Space analog with questions about what his orders are to be. Sorry, it looks like Gary Oldman. The visored villain tells the weaponer to make another and make the ring yellow, remarking, we should honor our minions despite their failures. That was a crappy Gary Oldman. Yes, it was. But enough foreshadowing. Let's head back to a captured Green Lantern who's being held by a rogue band of Manhunters. Cal says that despite the Manhunters' desire to keep him around, he's not staying, as he delivers some consequences. Copyright Alan and Emily Middleton, 2014, all rights reserved, to the Maroon Mandroids. Bringing up various weapons and allies to help in the fight, Cal holds his own against the army of androids, but eventually their numbers become too many for him as they subdue him by pigpiling atop of him. Cut to outside Kyle's apartment on Earth, where a concerned about Deadline's Terry Berg pounds on the locked door, hoping that Kyle isn't inside, trapped under a large piece of furniture or something. Remembering that Kyle gave him the key, Terry enters the abode to find the roof collapsed in and the apartment in shambles. As Terry calls out for his boss, John Stewart appears behind him and tells him about the roof construction that went wrong. 
Yeah, the, the roof construction. That's the ticket. Yeah. Glad to hear that no one was hurt, Terry heads for the computer to copy off the files from Beast magazine, while John hopes that his statement about no one getting hurt is actually true. Back in space, the Manhunters have trapped Kyle on a pentagonal platform and are pumping him full of tubes and wipers. Green Lantern asks what they plan on doing with him, and we're treated to a Thomas DJ style... Where the main Manhunter relates of a passing alien ship picking up his deactivated body and attempting to repair it. In the process, the Manhunter interfaced with the computer systems and integrated them into his own essentially giving him an iOS update. Flashback completed, the Manhunter says now all the androids share the same upgrade, as well as a shared consciousness. Asking how they plan to assimilate him, Kyle finds that the robots are pumping with a technovirus that, once complete, will allow the Manhunters to use the Green Lantern ring. And with the addition of the Locutus eyepiece and helmet, Manhunter's plans are complete, as they now have the ability to wield the most powerful weapon in the universe. So, what do you think about this? Uh, well, first of all, let me ask, Chris, uh, were you reading Green Lantern at the time? Or is that I know you have an idea, you know, of Kyle, especially more yes, than I do. Honeywell did. But yeah, that, I know, that, I know would, who could... that wouldn't be hard to have. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I am quite familiar with with the Green Lantern in, in his many incarnations. Um, and I, I was aware of, of Hal going wackadoodoo and. Uh, you know, turn it into parallax and then reigniting the sun. And I am also familiar with them bringing on Kyle. Okay. Um, so I, I am familiar with all that. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I have a great love for Kyle Rayner, mostly because of his stupid haircut. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, the crab mask and the costume, I, I don't like that costume. It's too busy. Well, you know, the thing is it did, it did come into play in that era of the nineties where yeah, I the, understand the image excess was pretty much part and parcel with comics at the time. So it, it was very much of the time, but I think over time it, uh, for me at least it worked better. I know we're going to be coming up here in a while to a new updated costume that was designed by Jim Lee. And I don't know if it's much of an improvement, to be honest. Uh, I think I think the problem is the classic Green Lantern costume is such a, a clean design yeah. that all these changes just don't really suit it very well. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a big thing with costume design for me. I, it, it, the real busy ones don't work for me. Uh, I like the, the clean, mm-hmm. almost, you know, the, the standard two or three colors and that's it. But. You know, I like the trunks over the, you know, the crotch mm-hmm. and the, you know, the boots are all one color, the gloves are all, I, that looks fantastic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the, however they have his chest piece designed with the little jaggies on the, above the, the lantern symbol, I just, it doesn't work for me and the gloves are kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, they look, they look more like bracers or something rather than actual gloves. So it's, it's, yeah. it, it is, like I said, a design that, came out of the 90s so i i can i can see your your reason for not having you know the 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 most liking for it yeah i mean i also understand why they did it too kyle's the last green lantern the only green lantern they need to differentiate him from hal which i i totally get Mm -hmm. so it's i mean i understand the reasoning i just don't like the aesthetic no problem well moving into the book let's go ahead and start with the cover um I like the cover. It's an okay design, but there's some there's some things that are just kind of wonky on it. First of all, you know, Kyle's being shot at from his right, and he yeah. himself is aiming towards the left. So yeah. it's you know, why is he shooting at the things that are shooting back? Why isn't he shooting back at the things that are shooting at him? Yeah. Plus the manhunter in the background, he's got little pouty lips. Yes, he does. What's with that? He's got the. Mm. He's like the he's the he's the the Manhunter version of Mai from Sin City. <laughs> oh, if we could only get oh, what's his name? Mickey Rourke. Yeah, Mickey Rourke playing 
playing a man, a man hunter, hunter in the next Green Lantern movie. Maybe we can get that in one of those hey, myriad I'm, number of uh, DC untitled movies that they're doing. In the next I'm couple. content with Dexter's dad being the voice on the on the Justice League cartoon for the man. Hunters. Oh, that was cool. I'll agree with that. Um, moving into the book, pages one and two. This is something I think the uh, Green Lantern book could have really uh could have really affected the Green Lantern book well is going to the antimatter universe and having more stories with the Cordians and the Weaponers. Yeah. These characters are classic Green Lantern villains that kind of got sidelined after the whole, you know, how Jordan goes bonker bonkers thing. They were never really mentioned, but they were pretty important during the early part of the Green Lantern run back in the nineties with uh, when Gerard Jones was writing it. And I like the fact that, Judd Winnick's bringing him back because in my opinion at this point in time I don't think Kyle really had a great rogues gallery specific to him and what worked best for me was when he was fighting some of these some of these classic villains uh, in when I covered an 80 page giant one of the really fun stories that I covered in that was Green Lantern uh, Kyle Rayner having to go up against Hector Hammond yep. and uh, you know there's a classic villain that I think really would have worked against Kyle Rayner, but they seem to, I guess, want to differentiate Kyle so much from Hal and the previous Lanterns by giving him a new uh, rogues gallery, and that I think was kind of a detriment. So having the Cordians come back, I think, is a nice is going to be a nice addition to the story. Yeah, it's uh, I just I I don't like the new design. I like the old school pulpy '60s mm-hmm. design a lot better. Yeah, again, it is a very I mean, I guess that one guy on page two here is supposed to be a weaponer, but his outfit's all silver, and yeah. it doesn't look like the big sort of almost Flash Gordon-ass exactly. Buck Rogers type thing. But it's nice that they're, you know, they've got an image of Sinestro, and it would, you know, despite the fact that Sinestro, I guess, is dead, or at this current time is dead, it would be nice also if Sinestro could have made it back. But I think we'll be seeing the return of someone with a yellow ring here pretty soon. So that'll be cool. Is, is it Sinestro? Um, I, I'm not saying. You're not saying? All right. Well, uh, you know, it, it's someone who's been, I'll tell you, it's not, okay, I'll say it's not Sinestro, but it is a villain that Kyle has faced before in the book. So, you know, uh, you can, All right. you can, if you've read some of the, say no more, you can know who it is. Um, my next episode's on page five where uh, Kyle sort of breaks out and starts uh, bringing up constructs to uh, take on the Manhunters. Yeah. That pose of the Manhunters is just really weird. It, it it doesn't look like they're the scourge of the galaxy. It looks more like they're Lord of the Dance. <laughs> I totally get the Michael Flatley vibe. I'm serious. You know, the, the one, you know, you've got a shot from him overhead with his arms out and his legs kicked up. It's just... It's a ridiculous pose. He's dainty. <laughs> He's a dainty man, not to. Uh, you know, I, I, I can hear the little clogging things in the background here. <laughs> oh, Michael Flatley, how we, how we love you so, in a way that we completely don't. Um, I really don't have very many notes because a lot of this, a lot of this story is basically taken up by, you know, silent panels of Kyle just based on the Manhunters. I mean, do you have any comments on the art? I, I gotta be honest. I, I don't dig the art. Really? I really don't. Um, it, and it's not that it's somewhat cartoony, because I, I think cartoony can definitely work for Green Lantern. Um, the faces are just really off to me. Mm-hmm. I just, I, it's not working for me. I think the Manhunters actually look all right. They kind of look like, uh, they kind of look like Sock from Tron a little bit to me, right? Yeah, they do. With the way they're drawn in this. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I do like that the Manhunters have a, a little different size design, that it's all not just one uniform, you know, Manhunter robot, that there's different uh, types of them, like one's yeah. a bit bigger and stuff but yeah this is one of the things that i have to say art wise that has kind of plagued daryl banks is a lot of the times depending upon who's inking him or what part in the story he's drawing a lot of the art looks off um specifically getting to the point where we get back to kyle's apartment and we get uh terry berg who's supposed to be kyle's you know like 15 16 year old assistant for this magazine 
basically, right. if you don't know what's going on, Kyle got a job with a a magazine that's kind of like Maxim or Details. Gotcha. And he's doing a, a comic strip in the back of it. He's doing a biweekly comic strip in there. And they assigned him this character of Terry Berg to come help him with computer stuff and making sure that he knew how to upload the files to, you know, the, the magazine, all this. So Terry on these pages, like, uh, I think 12 and 13 here, his, the way he looks and the, uh, the, the look of his age changes drastically. Yes. From, from, I mean, like, uh, in the first, in the first, uh, three panel in that panel three where he's knocking on the door and you see that he looks like he's 12. He looks like a 12 year old girl. Yeah, well, do you know about Terry? Do no, you... I don't. I'm going to assume something awful happens to him, though, because it's Kyle Rayner Greenland's book. Yeah, well, uh, this is, this really isn't a huge spoiler, but there is a storyline coming down the pike about 20, 30 issues from now where this character, well, here in, uh, here in about 15 issues or so, we find out this character is is gay. We find out that this kid is gay, and they establish him you know, as a gay character and it's done really well. Um, but here in about 15 issues after that, he gets into an altercation with some thugs and they beat him within an inch of his life. I mean, he's, he's in a hospital in a coma. They think he might lose an eye. His leg is broken in a number of places. So, and Kyle as green lantern basically goes out and beat, finds the people and, beats the ever loving snot out of him. So it's, it's an interesting story. And, you know, the character of Terry, you know, initially isn't, you know, he, you're brought into the fact that he's a gay character, not by, not with the sort of way they do it now, like, you know, announcing that Alan Scott is gay and, yeah. you know, it being banner headlines. It's something that grow, grew and evolved about the character. And I, I like his character, but going back to the art, the art just fluctuates in the way he looks, especially on that next page where he's calling out for Kyle. Yeah, he looks it like... looks, it's so off. It's so off from the other panels. Mm-hmm. He looks like he's almost, you know, a tween. He looks like 10 or 11 and just way too young. And then he fluctuated into the panels after that, you know, the bottom, uh, uh, like the fourth panel there where you're shaking hands with John Stewart. He looks like he's about 16. So it's just, it's weird art style. It's a weird fluctuation in art. And it's one of the negative things I have to say about Daryl Banks's art on the book. But, you know, I do like on this page that they mention or, or that John tries to explain why there is a hole in Kyle's roof. Yeah. Because in this book, in the Greenlander book, there are so many times where Kyle gets blasted out of the window or flies through the roof and the roof explodes or his apartment catches on fire or anything. And it's never mentioned. And it's, you know, the landlord's never like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they at least give some sort of explanation to why this would be going on. After that, I don't really have any notes until about, page 18 let me see what i've got here i was gonna say the foreshortening on on john stewart picking up that uh cup is really bad yeah daryl banks has never really gotten john stewart quite well especially facially there's a lot of times that john's face looks really poorly inked but i agree yeah the foreshortening on that arm is it's it, you know, because Daryl Banks does some good art, but I don't know if this is just rushed or. And sadly, uh, you know, I found that Terry Austin, who is an incredible inker, yep. he came in to do the book with Daryl Banks. Banks's artwork looked even worse. So, <laughs> jeez, I know, I know, it's hard to imagine that that Terry Austin, who's you know uh, such a great fit with so many other artists, was just such a poor one with uh, Daryl Banks, but. Uh, like I said, yeah, the the artwork just fluctuates so much in here. It's it's difficult to get interested in it. Um, page eighteen. I think this is my, where my next note is, where he's talking to the Manhunters about you know now they're a collective consciousness and uh, you know they they all share the same intellect. That it's very Borg like. Yeah, but he and, calls them on it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that's kind of differentiated 
from the storytelling. With Judd Winnick, his storytelling seems to be a bit more a, a bit more pop culture oriented and a b- bit more I, I don't want to say modern, but I guess modern for the times. It, it, it Maybe a bit more hip, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Ron Morris, when he wrote, uh, seemed to have more of a classical uh, comic hero writing style. Judd Winnick's putting in a lot more pop culture references and a lot of more snarky dialogue and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if you like that, that's a good thing. It's It's not a dramatic change, but it's just, it's something. And I'm glad that Kyle at least, you know, recognizes the whole collective consciousness thing is very yeah. much like Borg. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, I mean, he is an artist, so you get, you know, he's drawing monster stuff and aliens and stuff, so you get to assume he's somewhat of a geek. Oh, yeah, well, so. he, he's, uh, you know, if a lot of the things in his book, um, or a lot of things that he likes artistically, is anime stuff. In fact, a lot of his constructs are very anime-influenced. He'll do a lot of uh, Macross and Robotech type stuff. Whenever he's uh, fighting someone who's more powerful than him, he'll often ring himself up uh, like a giant, uh, you know, Macross type suit. Or yep. sometimes he's done an Ed two oh nine type uh, ring construct thing. So he he's he's definitely more tuned in to the to the artistic styles or toward the sort of anime styles than Hal Jordan or the rest of the uh, Earth based Green Lanterns were. So, um, and really my final note is, uh, on page 21, where the Manhunters are shocking him, the sort of one played splash. Does, is it just me or does Kyle kind of look like man at arms from, from here <laughs> there with the bit. helmet and the chest plate? Yeah, he you know, does actually. Despite the fact that he's covered with all the weird wires and stuff. You know, that's, yeah. that's just the only thing, but yeah, I'm sorry you didn't like the art in this. I will admit, yeah, it's. It's not the worst art. No, no, of, it's certainly not. You know, I've seen significantly worse, but, you know, it's not a bad story. And I'm glad that they at least brought in, you know, some of the classic villains. You know, having the Cordians in, I think, will be an interesting addition to the book. And, you know, whoever they get to wield this new ring, I think that'll be a nice, uh, you know, even though Kyle technically isn't affected by the yellow energy thing, I think it'll be a nice, uh, nice idea to see if there's someone who can technically take on Kyle ring for ring. So that'll be cool to see. I have a question for you before we move on. Go ahead. I, I noticed he didn't have to charge his ring. Had he, has he, had he already absorbed the, the battery into himself at this point? No, I think that's the ion storyline, which comes here in, Oh, I want to say about 10 or so issues. They start that up, the power of ion. Okay. And right now he still has to recharge his ring, but it's not on a 24 hour cycle. So oh, okay. he can charge his ring. He just he doesn't have an oath. He just charges it for like, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And it lasts basically until, you know, he can feel it running out. You know, he doesn't have the ring talking to him yet. I think that's sort of a well, that's a that's a Silver Age thing as well. But during this time, he never has the ring, you know, you know, translate that language. It just does it automatically and it doesn't talk to him and tell him, you know, this system is, uh, you know, ruled by so-and-so. So he doesn't have the 24 hour limitation that the previous green lanterns do, do, but it's the ring doesn't specifically work in the same way that it does either. It doesn't gotcha. translate stuff. So, so he can, he can charge up and it'll last for, you know, it, it won't be drained after 24 hours. If he doesn't use it and he charges it up, it's like a battery. It's only you. It, it's only goes away when he uses it. Gotcha. And uh, to be honest, uh, it may be one of those things as well, because uh, that may be an interesting idea, because when he was captured by in the last issue, it was just kind of out of the blue. And, you know, you don't know what kind of charge he had on the ring. So this could play into uh the next book is you know whether or not the Manhunters have the ability to you know run the ring for very long. Mm. But uh, that's all I've got on the issue. You got anything else on it? Um, no, other than uh, you know, if you're gonna do a last page of a comic book and you, you want to get someone to read the next issue, having your uh, villain brandishing the most powerful weapon in the universe, saying the ring is ours, is that's a pretty good way to go out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think this is actually some of the better better artwork. The 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 Manhunters look good. 
Yes, they do on that page. Uh, you know, significantly better than the uh, than a lot of the art in here. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely a selling point to have them. You know, saying that now we can use the uh, Green Lantern ring. So I like it. I like that page too. Well, uh, if that's all we've got, we're going to go ahead and take another break here, and uh, I'm going to go get some of the drink, and we will come back here in just a minute and do Green Lantern. Versus Aliens, number three. Yeah. Xenomorph, sorry. Xenomorphs, Xenomorphs. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Eunice and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, this is Professor Allen, and when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guy Show on iTunes, or come visit us at bookguys.ca. And once again, we're back. We're going to take a look at our second book this time out. This is Green Lantern vs. Aliens, number three. It had a cover date of November 2000 and a release date of uh, November 8th, 2000. That's my birthday. Are you serious? Oh, dead serious. <laughs> wow. Just, I would so, have turn, turned 21 the day this came out. Well, that's cool. I'm going to have to mark that down. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Heroes... <laughs> birthday <laughs> i have to bolt that and make sure that i remember that so i can give no, you birthday don't. wishes no, no, no you, you you're on facebook gonna... it'll come oh up. that's true facebook pops up everyone's birthday now yep um the cover price was 299 us and 450 canada the writer was ron mars the pencil learner was rick leonardi inker was mike perkins colorist dave stewart letterer steve dutro cover artist dwayne turner designer darcy hackett mouthful here <clears throat> assistant editors tim evan gore and frank berrios editors phil amar and bob shrek publisher mike richardson and special thanks go out to debbie olshan at fox and neela weber at dc comics it's a huge number of people working on this book yeah peering down the techno organically lined tunnel green lantern kyle rayner laments the fact that he's technically a green lantern no more since his ring slipped from his finger during the alien altercation Hoping that he can recreate the Jedi Force Pull trick that he did a few issues back to get his ring, Cal outstretches his hand and concentrates, to no avail. Realizing that he'd be about worthless without a weapon of some sorts, Crow tosses Kyle one of her famous plasma rifles in the 40-watt range. Get the reference? But Kyle is reluctant to become a spacefaring Dirty Harry. He's even more reluctant after firing the gun knocks him flat on his ass. But Crow picks him up and gives him a few pointers, both figuratively and literally, as Kyle comments on how nice she smells. <clears throat> you know what kind of pointers I mean. Awkward bulges averted, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle, Crow, and Salak prepare some rope to allow them to rappel down into the chasm to find the captured crew. 
As they make their way down, Kyle and Salak have a conversation about what it means to be a hero, to overcome fear, and how the universe has changed since Hal Jordan and the Corps existed. Reaching the bottom of the tunnel, Kyle and Salak reconcile their differences as they meet up with a concerned crow. It seems she's found the cocoon remains of some of the members of the crew, as well as one who hasn't had the chestburster rip out of his abdomen. But all of that is put on hold as Salak sees another horde of the xenomorphs heading this way. Crow and Salak open fire, but Kyle, still unwilling to kill, hesitates, which allows the aliens to get the drop on our pickle-headed protagonist. Kyle rushes to the rescue, but it's too late as Salak is overwhelmed by the aliens, smothered by a mass of their insectoid bodies. Trying to make the best of it, Crow grabs Kyle and drags him into a narrow passage where they're able to funnel the aliens, making him easier to take out. But during the scuffle, Crow had some alien blood splashed on her body, and Kyle tries to do a little field triage to make sure that she's okay. Crow, of course, wants nothing of Kyle's touchy-feeliness and says she doesn't need the help. Saying that what she really needs from Kyle is for him to get over his aversion to killing, Crow crawls her way through the tunnel until the duo encounter a massive chamber replete with the captured crewmen, the former lanterns, a giant egg-laying queen alien, and most importantly, Kyle's Green Lantern. Okay, so the third chapter of a four-part story dealing with Green Lantern and aliens. What do you think about this one, Chris? I really enjoyed this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're finally getting into a bit more of the aliens-type feel. The first ones were... It had a few of the tropes sprinkled in through it, but this one definitely gets into you know more of the feel of an alien comic or an alien movie, and I really like it. I also like the... Uh, characterizations or the interaction between Salak and Kyle. Yeah. We, ha- we haven't seen really any of the other Green Lanterns uh, of the classic era since, well, since Hal went bonkers, really. And I really like the sort of interaction between the very conservative uh, ideal that Salak brings forth and the more, uh, I don't want to say liberal, but the more... Uh, well, right. Yeah, the more the the more shades of gray. That's a very good. Uh, that's a very good analogy. The more shades of gray viewpoint of Kyle, where he's not not as you know determined or you know black and white as Salak seems to be in this. Um, did you did you ever read Green Lantern uh, during the Englehart and Staten run, where Salak was a major portion of the uh, Green Lantern Corps? I did not. Okay, he he's an interesting character. Uh, during the during the early eighties, prior to the crisis. There were a bunch of Green Lanterns on Earth, which included uh, John and Hal, Guy, Kilowog, Salak, and Chip, I think was another one. The little squirrel, yeah. oh, chipmunk alien. So, you know, he, he was a member of that run, and it's it's nice that he gets a little... Uh, he, he gets to be back in this book. Uh, and I think he, he works well interacting with Kyle here. Going into the book, let's see, my first notes on page two... And, uh, unfortunately these aren't numbered, so I'm kind of going, I'm kind of estimating which these pages they are. I haven't really commented about the art so much in this book, but I really, really like that Rick Leonardi is taking a lot of time to do these detailed backgrounds in here, especially the, uh, walls of the cave or the, yeah. the tunnel that's going down. It looks just like, uh, the way the sort of alien secretions do in the walls of the caves and the aliens we get. It, it helps set the tone of the book really well. Yeah, it's uh, it's very nicely done. Mm-hmm. And and it, I, I instantly started thinking about uh, the Marines walking to the uh, reactor in, in Aliens when mm-hmm. I saw it. Yeah, especially when it when it comes from the the very uh, the very industrial looking. Uh, modular staircases and metal staircases to this weird techno-organic alien-type goo-looking stuff. It's it's a nice transition, and they've, they've got the imagery down really well here. Oh, yeah. Moving on to the next page, page three, there was an actual portion in the book where Kyle had his ring separated from him, and he was able, essentially, to pull the little Jedi mind trick and have the ring travel to him. So... This isn't out of the question, but it is kind of a a goofy trope of the Green Lanterns. But 
you know, whatever. whatever. Hey, it's the most powerful thing in the universe, and it's bonded to you. I, I can, I can buy it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a no prize for that. That's cool. I also like on the next page after that that Kyle uh, gives an explanation for why he's not in his civilian clothes. Uh, essentially, when the ring is separated from him, a lot of times that would happen. Uh, he, the, the since the costume is a construct of the ring itself. If the ring was depowered or if the ring went away, he lost the uniform. I like that he gives kind of an explanation for it. You know, it it can work either way. You know, I think he had clothes on before he did this, so it wasn't like he was, you know, in his birthday suit or anything. <laughs> but I'm certain, you know, if there were female readers uh, reading this, they'd be all excited about that. Because I think that was one of the things at the time that made this book kind of popular because Kyle Rayner was uh, – kind of considered to be a sort of attractive character for, uh, you know, that kind of brought in a female audience to the Green Lantern at the time. So well, not with that haircut. There you go. Well, I, I know it's, it is the very douchey haircut. I give you that. But then again, he is an artist. So true. My next notes on page six, after Kyle fires the gun a couple of times, gets knocked down. Crow picks him up and he comments uh, that you're stronger than you look, aren't you? She this, looks pretty friggin' strong. <laughs> she she looks pretty, you know, she looks pretty um pretty strong, but I I think this is sort of a uh, sort of uh hinting at, you know, what might be actually going on with Crow. She's not she 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 does look physically imposing, but I think there's something else going on that we'll find out here in the next book. You know, I don't want to spoil ahead, but you know, we'll get to that. Let's see the four middle panels on the next page, you know, after uh, Crow's uh trying to teach Kyle how to shoot. You know, I, I, I like the sort of awkwardness and, you know, <laughs> even, even with the crab mask, you can kind of tell there's some differentiation in Kyle's face that you can see how he's kind of awkward. And plus, you know, Crow, her face goes from being sort of angry at Kyle, you know, because he's, he's smelling her and that's kind of, and also I've got to wonder, you know, a woman running around in a down spaceship on a planet, you know, being chased by weird aliens. Would she really smell nice? I mean, or, 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 you know, I'll admit, you know, I don't know women all that well, but I would think, you know, women sweat as well. Wouldn't you smell kind of funky after? They don't, they don't sweat, Sean. They oh. Spire. Okay. Well, they see. Glow. I, I guess that's that's me being you know an uneducated nerd show having oh, my uneducated nerd show through because well, I I would have thought you know she would have smelled like sweaty you know sweatiness. So. Maybe, maybe maybe Kyle just digs the natural musk. <laughs> well, you you never know. Uh, that's that, like I said, he is an artist. <laughs> Very I'm sure if Crow lifted up her arms and they weren't oh. you know, shaved under the pits, he'd probably be like, oh, yeah, that's a girl. He is hanging out in the village with a bunch of bohemian people, so uh, I, I wouldn't, that was I wouldn't first be surprised. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Sing. It's, it's the 2000s. We have soap. <laughs> Moving on to a couple pages later, uh, I like the fact that Salak, you know, doesn't have to repel down. I, I like, you know, the fact that he's, you know, they're, they're taking into account his sort of alien physiology and the fact that he's, you know, got the four arms that he can kind of repel down this wall with, or he can climb down this wall sort of spider-like. I think that's kind of a, a neat thing to, to distinguish him as a yeah. character. Well, <clears throat> seeing as how he's depowered, it's just kind of cool to see him, you know, he's got the four arms, so he's, he's strapping four guns. It's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, at least they're doing something with him. He's not just uh, he's not just an alien for aliens' sake. Yeah, I and I like that. And I also like the fact, you know, he this was mentioned in the previous issue that even though he is a depowered Green Lantern, he does still feel the need to be a hero, to be uh, to take responsibility for his actions, especially in this case where he was part of the group that brought the aliens here in the first place. And even though he's like I said, he's not a Green Lantern and can't use the ring. He's wanted to go and try and right the wrongs that he created. So that's that's a great character piece for someone. Yes, it is. Um, 
the next couple of pages, 10 through 11, I just, I really <laughs> like the dialogue between Kyle and Salak. Um, aside from John and Guy, Kyle has never really gotten to interact with any of the former Green Lanterns. So the fact that he's getting it from someone who's not only a prior Green Lantern, but an alien Green Lantern and someone who's, you know, he's never interacted with and has, you know, kind of a, Salak has a kind of different worldview than uh, John or Guy did. So yeah. I, I like that he gets this sort of expansion of his knowledge of the Green Lantern universe because most of his most of his knowledge comes from the earth-based lander it's nice that he's getting to interact with a green lantern who's not earth-based yeah in the main title because i'm sure this falls outside continuity even though you know it seems like you could squeeze it in pretty easily without it disrupting anything is there does there come a point where he actually does start to uh, meet and talk to some of the alien green lanterns see i i don't know i think in the future he does I think because, you know, during the Power of Ion storyline, I believe he somehow resurrects or brings back the Guardians. I don't think that's a big spoiler, but I think that occurs. And I know, obviously, Kilowog comes back. So there's got to be some sort of, you know, uh, relationship because Kyle eventually has a relationship with Kilowog. So I don't know. Uh, to, uh, to this point so far, he really hasn't had much interaction with the previous Green Lanterns aside from John, Kyle, and Guy. So, but, it, right. but yeah, I, I do agree. This is one of those stories that is, yeah, probably out of continuity because I mean, it's not branded Elseworlds or anything. So n- no, it's not, but it, it's one of those sort of unique crossovers. that I think, you know, if you wanted to make it fit into Green Lantern continuity, it wouldn't take a bunch of finagling. It'd be easily put in there. You just say this happened between issues blank and blank. Wouldn't have a problem. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, aside from the fact that the two franchises are owned by, you know, separate companies. And if you look at the, uh, so it, well, the thing is with this, they're dealing with the aliens. They're not dealing with like Wayland Yutani or, you know, the idea of Ripley going after that or any of that continuity. Yeah that's been established in the dark horse stuff. It's just the aliens themselves. And who's to say there's not a home world of aliens out there somewhere. So it, it, maybe it, a movie in that franchise will finally take us there. Who knows? Hmm, that would be interesting. I'd love to see something like that. Mm, me too. My next note, I think is on the splash page with the aliens. Oh, it's so good. It is. Uh, I think, I think Rick Leonardi does a really really good job the art here is crisp he gets all the weird details on the aliens yeah the the claws i'm looking at the the alien's right claw in on the front cover it looks like he has the sort of two fingers fused together as a claw yeah this one just looks like a tri-finger claw but that's just a minor nitpick the 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 look at the tail and even the jaws, the the interior set of jaws look a lot better. It looks more like the weird teeth rather than a sort of grabby hand type thing. It's it's great here. Yeah, it's uh he's not really he's he's definitely inspired by the original Giga design, but it's not he's not trying to ape it completely. It's definitely more comic booky, and it's it's a really nice piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the things I am really impressed with. Leonardi does some great work with the character designs as well and the aliens in specific. I think the aliens just haven't looked this good since like, you know, the early days of the Dark Horse Aliens book. After that, my next note is until essentially page 20, where after Crow gets some alien blood splashed on her and Kyle wants to triage her and take a look at her, she basically tells him not to. And I'm wondering, is that just because she's such a hard ass that she doesn't want to get looked at or if there's something else going on. I well, guess when you, when you read it the first, when you read issue three and you haven't read issue four, that's definitely the impression you get. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, then there's reveals. Yeah. There, later. There, there are reveals later. So, you know, hinting that there is kind of a seeding of an idea that something is different about crow. It's and, an alien story. What haven't we have had yet? Exactly. If you know the, if you know your alien story, you will, 
you will understand what's going to be happening here. But I like that they don't telegraph it all that much. But if no. you if you know what it is, you know what it is. And then uh, you know, finally, you know, the last two pages, the Queen Alien, you know, with the ovipositor and laying all the eggs and the the lanterns, the crew. I'm glad at least that when the aliens, you know, uh, grab Slock, they didn't kill him. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, that tends to be in the film. They rip you up. This time they're taking you for for specimens, which is cool. But the queen looks good. She's got I'm looking on that one page uh, where you see her head. Her head yeah. looks a bit different. Yeah, it's, it's still the different. larger elongated thing. But I think one of the things that they did specifically with the alien comics was the aliens took on the form of the things that they uh, that they had the chest or the face huggers grab onto. So, yeah. like in the third Alien movie, yep. the face hugger grabbed onto the dog, and the the alien was kind of dog like. It ran around on yep. all fours and stuff like that. So maybe that's just you know this queen was came from a different sort of alien, but you know the, the again the artwork and the design are just magnificent here. It's a it's a really nice splash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the end of it, you know, he, he, uh, Kyle finds his ring and, uh, and all he has to do is, you know, get past a, uh, ravenous, you know, egg sack laying alien, uh, tons of, uh, eggs that are willing to pop out face huggers and clamp onto his face. And yeah, then they're home free. So not, not much of a problem. Oh yeah. You don't even have to do the fourth issue. <laughs> but, uh, so far this has been just a barrel of fun reading these and i've got to say i i hope that you know I, i've got to say that i like the art a lot more in this issue there wasn't as much wonkiness in it the aliens look amazing yeah and the story is just it, it, it hits on all the right it hits on all the right beats it's a good green lantern story it's a good alien story it has that tension in there and it just works i would heartily agree with you mm-hmm well, that that's all I have for the issue. Do you have anything else? Um, no, I uh, immediately read the fourth issue right afterwards, though, because I wanted to see how it all shook out. Well, because uh, uh, it was good. It, this is, you know, surprisingly, from the the crossovers that DC has had with Dark Horse, the Aliens crossovers specifically. I know I've read this one. Well, obviously I've read this one because we're talking about it. <laughs> but I also read the Superman versus Aliens, at least the first one, and one of the Batman versus Aliens. I think they did a couple of them. And so far, uh, from my recollection of them, all of them are really good. Uh, the Superman versus Aliens one, I think I commented on that on last issue, was really good, where basically Superman went to a a beacon that had what he thought to be Kryptonian language. So he went to a planet where there was a... I want to say it was a Kryptonian colony or something, or the people, you know, spoke Kryptonian. And the way they, they dealt with it was Superman was away, so far away from a yellow sun that he couldn't, he started losing power. Gotcha. And by the end of the story, the hook was, you know, the aliens could actually cut him and, you know, get their acid on him and hurt him. And, by the, I think by the end of the fourth story, he actually had a face hugger on him. Or at, the, or at the end of the third story, there was a face hugger on him, which led into the fourth, the fourth book. And you were wondering, oh my God, is Superman going to be, you know, get a chest burster because he's nearly powerless now? So it was, it was a good hook. And the, so far, these DC crossovers with aliens have been pretty impressive. I, I am interested in re- now reading the other crossovers. I was aware of them. I just have never gotten around to uh, to reading them. If you if you can find the Superman versus Alien one, I think it's I, I don't know who does the art or who writes it, but I just remember it being pretty good. So I, I definitely recommend that. But Hero, it's it's always great getting to talk with you. You know, uh, the the time we spent down at Star Wars Celebration in Florida was just it was magical. It, it was magical. It was just so much fun getting to talk with you and just chat with you and you know hang out with you and the rest of the guys down there. I, I so hope that eventually they'll do another convention in Florida and we can all make it down there again because I, I really want to get with you guys again. 
But absolutely, it has been just great getting to talk with you and having you come on the show. I was I was more than happy to be here. You you, you take two things that I love: superheroes and xenomorphs, and mash them together, and and it's it's fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go ahead and uh, like I do with all the rest of the guests? I'll go ahead and let you plug some of the things you're doing out there on the internet now. Uh, not much really. It's all on the Two True Freaks Network, of which this show is part of. Um, I do the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with, uh, you know, our good host right here, Sean Angle, and Luke Jacanetti, and Chris Honeywell. And we talk about horror movies that we love, and some that we've never seen before. And, uh, you know, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's just a fun horror movie discussion by four people that like to talk about horror movies. Um, and, and, Dave Atterbury and I like to also talk incessantly, so we've decided that we will talk through entire movies. So uh, we did Nerds on Film, which is now called TNA Movies. Uh, new new episodes under the new branding coming very soon, um, and we just uh, we just get our love on for all of our uh, favorite seventies and eighties and nineties and two thousands movies, the stuff that we like to watch. Uh, nothing nothing groundbreaking. We just we just like to talk. Um, I'm all over the Facebook, uh, for two true freak, two true freaks. Um, usually making penis and fart jokes. <laughs> um, but, um, that's about it. Uh, find me on Facebook. You want to be my friend? Send me a request. I, I don't say no. I can never say no to you. Oh. Um, <laughs> so see, we we won't mention the 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 fact that you never said no when we were sharing a room at Disney World. So add on the down low there. But, but Chris, it has been just a joy having you on. I really appreciate you doing this. I, I'm happy to do it, man. Uh, anytime, anytime you need a fill in. Uh, anytime, Michael Bailey and 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 Alan Middleton and <laughs> and Shag and uh, Thomas DJ and Chris Honeywell and Trentus Magnus and uh, Luke Jack and Eddie and Paul Spataro and Bill Robinson are busy. Feel free to give me a call. Well, you're on that list. There you go. So <laughs> I'll be giving you a call. Good. But thanks again, everyone, for tuning in and listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Until then, everyone, have a good week. Xenomorphs. Xenomorphs! Xeno what? (laughs) You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, the numeral two, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new DeBonsecore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, Part 1, off the album Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips, Oklahoma's own. Yeah, I guess we do have to claim them. They're all their zinginess. If you like the Flaming Lips, or if you like music in general, there's a lot of places you could probably get this album, or myriad other albums. But the best place to go get it would be Amazon.com. And the best way to get to Amazon.com would be by using the link at 2 
every time you go to the webpage 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the banner on the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon.com where you could buy the Flaming Lips album. You could buy, I guess, Toby Keith. There's another Oklahoman. So, yeah, tons of Oklahomans and that I can only think of, too. But you could buy music, DVDs, Blu-rays, electronics, string trimmers, who knows what you'd like to buy, and all for really low prices. Plus, any time you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to buy something from Amazon, a small amount of your purchase price goes back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the website out. So if you're thinking about buying some Flaming Lips albums, and who knows who wouldn't be wanting to do that, make sure you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. That was the second time I got crabs. <laughs> Don't put that in. <laughs> and, and we're back. Cal finds that the robots are pumping him. Not pumping him. Cal finds the Ooh. robots. Yeah, well, that was too dirty. But, you know, you hear my wife downstairs running the garbage disposal. No. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I don't know if you heard that. I could hear uh, it. A little bit. Okay. <laughs>